0: you know there's nothing better than seeing lives transformed by jesus if all we do is come and celebrate religion that doesn't hold a lot of hope for the world but i think uh... if you listen to some of the words and even just the different stages of life that we saw there with um, a child a teenager a young woman um, olivia sharing her stage of faith and then elizabeth as a young woman um, early in her family her, her early in her marriage sharing her more mature stage of faith, and then even Greg at a later stage of life, um, sharing what Jesus has done in his life. It preaches the good news of Jesus. And the good news of Jesus is simply this, that God created a world, and he created each one of us. And human sin, selfishness, pride, those kinds of things, it breaks the world, and it breaks each one of us. And God sent Jesus, his son, to come and rescue all of us from that brokenness, and there is nothing that Jesus can't fix. And some of those things Jesus fixes miraculously in the midst of a broken world. Scripture says that he is patient with this broken world, not wanting anyone to succumb to its brokenness or to their brokenness, but wanting to rescue all of them. So he's patient with a broken world, but there will come a day when all of the wrongs will be righted. When all the brokenness will be restored and we will either stand with Jesus as those that have been restored with him or we will pass away with this broken world as he removes all brokenness that has not been restored. And so so that is the good news of Jesus. And we see it in little ways. We see it in the ways that our own lives transform. We see it in the ways that Jesus helps us think and act and live outside of the norms that we have been raised in or that we have trained ourselves in. We see it when we can live outside of ourselves, not operating as animals in our own best interest, but operating in the image of God as persons who are (laughs) self-aware and other-aware in this world. And that's why the good news of Jesus is the answer to our broken world. Every day we become more and more aware through the blessing curse of media, um, we become more and more aware of the brokenness that is in the world around us. And my hope is that those of you that call Jesus your Lord and your Savior, that every time you experience brokenness, either internally, you, you recognize there's some things inside of you that you aren't that proud of or that aren't helping yourself or the people around you flourish, or anytime you see brokenness in the world around you and there is some horrific brokenness, that you would think to yourself, Jesus, I know that you are the answer. Show me how you are the answer. And that we would seek Jesus to help us be a part of his solution in the world because that is what he calls us to. And why he doesn't just zap us up to heaven the minute we surrender our lives to him. It's because he calls us to be like him even in helping the broken world be restored. That's the good news of Jesus. And I'm so thankful for that good news because there's rarely a week that goes by that I don't face some of that brokenness in myself. There's not a week that goes by that I don't see some of that brokenness in my own community, much less the world around me. But we need Jesus. And the interesting thing about Jesus is Jesus doesn't want the shortcut. He doesn't want to just flip a switch. He wants relationship. And it's through relationship with Jesus. We say around here at Sound Life Church, we exist to help people flourish. And how do they flourish? Through knowing Jesus. It's in knowing Jesus that we understand ourselves, we understand the God who created us, and we understand the world that is all around us. And it's through relationship with Jesus that we all flourish, that we experience the goodness that Jesus came to this earth for. And we experience rich relationship with him through practicing trust, not obligation, so we talked about this last week out of Galatians uh, chapter 3. We talked about this idea of trust, that it's kind of counterintuitive to us, that we don't, we don't naturally think of relationships in terms of trust unless there is a long track record of earning trust. Am I right? Right. We, people have to prove that they are trustworthy. And Jesus came and first proved that he is trustworthy when we had failed the trust of God to steward our lives and steward this world. But we often think in terms of obligation. We think in terms of contractual relationships. We think in terms, when that comes to God, of religion. And yet God came to save us through relationship. And that, again, is a key component of the good news. And that idea of trust is so difficult for us. Have you noticed that when you need someone to trust the most, it's the hardest to trust anybody? You notice that when you're in a tight spot, it is hard to know who to trust often, and some of you may have someone in your life that that has been that for you, and praise the Lord for that. We should be those kinds of people in others' lives, but it can be so hard to trust God in difficult moments in our lives. Why? Because we know that he has the power to do anything. Why would he allow us to go through difficulty? Why would he allow uh, evil to run rampant in the world at times? All of those things are difficult questions that we wrestle with. Scripture does have answers to those questions. We'll get into some of those today, but the bottom line is this, that it's through trust that we experience the flourishing of Jesus. And apart from that trust, it doesn't matter how perfect you are, how moral you are, you aren't perfect enough for God based on your own performance. You just aren't. Sorry, you're some great people. I know a lot of you. You're great people, but you're not quite as great as God. And so God made a way through Jesus us to come to him apart from perfection and apart from performance. But that requires trust. And trust is that funny thing that is the key to our lives being what they are called to be. Trust in many ways is, is uh, it's like the ultimate life hack. You familiar with life hacks, these things that make life a little easier, a little simpler? I love life hacks. I, I have a slight obsession with efficiency, um, that makes life painful for everyone around me because there's, it's like when somebody does something that's inefficient, even if it has no, you know, no real bearing on my life, it just drives me crazy. You know, it drives me crazy when, when people leave the lights on in a room where there's nobody in it. It drives me crazy when the, 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 I walk into a bathroom in the morning that was used by one of my children the night before and the faucet is dripping. I'm like, ah, that probably cost me two pennies. But it's not the pennies that drive me crazy, it's the, that it just wasn't the best way to do things. I've realized this is a psychosis that I live with, and I hope that you are not cursed with the same thing. But I love life hacks because even some of them that are so dumb, they're supposed to save you time and energy and, and make life better, right? And and I love these things, all sorts of things, from stupid little things like I... um. I used to have this because of this obsession in myself. Uh, this, sound, this is just an embarrassing moment for, for Caleb Bryant. So, can we all just acknowledge that up front before I tell the story? You don't have to waste time thinking about it, thinking what's wrong with him. I know it's, there's something wrong with me. But, um, you know, I used to, uh, you know, when we make, make a, cup of co- a pot of coffee, by the next morning, how many of you, there's some coffee in the pot that didn't get finished the day before, right? You know? And I thought, man, that, some of the water evaporated out. That's just distilled goodness right there. That's just a little more caffeine with a little less water to get through. And I used to just drink that cold while I was waiting for the new pot to, to, to brew, right? Some of you, I see some heads nodding. You're like, yeah, you can't waste that stuff. Now coffee is like $19 a pound, so you might want to think twice. But as, as I have matured, I still don't want to waste the coffee But I have discovered a secret that both utilizes the cold coffee and also keeps my houseplants alive. And I will take the pot of cold coffee and I will walk around and I'll be like, here little plant, you need some coffee? This was a good brew yesterday. You want some Starbucks this morning? And you know what? I have a knack for keeping houseplants thriving. So some of you that kill houseplants and waste coffee, boom, you're welcome. (laughs) Your life just improved. I have another one that, that again, it's, it's, it's uh, I don't know if this is embarrassing, but I feel like right now you should all be doing this with gas prices at, at a horrendous new high. Um, how many of you, you shop at Safeway or Fred Meyer, and you just love getting some money off of your gas, right? Yes. And, and who cares that they've already brought that into the amount of money we spent in the store? We know we're not really saving any money, but it sure feels like it. Yeah. And and we like to go to the gas pump and be like, I got fifty cents off, and then somebody's like dollar off, and you're like, oh man. So here's my wife and I. She she caters to my my need here for effectiveness. She j- does her best job. She's amazing. And so she lets me know. She's like, hey, this is how much we have off at Fred Meyer. And I'm like, sweet. Okay, let's run the gas tanks low on both vehicles. We have to be on E at both vehicles. I'm going to go take my gas can and make sure it's empty. I'm going to fill up the lawnmower and the chainsaw and the, the weed whacker and, you know, put some in a bucket if I have to because I'm going to Fred Meyer and getting a dollar off on as many gallons as possible. And we're that family that we pull in two cars, one right after another, and we're just taking our time at the pump. Yeah, it's just still filling things up over here. Sorry, you might want to go to another row. No, I try to be quick for that, too, because I think about how, how long it's taking. And we get a dollar off until it won't give us a dollar off anymore, right? We max that machine out. Some of you are like, I have a large pickup truck, and it only takes one. But all that to say, I love getting a dollar off on the maximum amount of gallons, and saving all eight dollars that I probably saved that day. But there's one life hack that if you are a young family, if you're not doing this, you need to start. You know, I used to come home from work and, and my wife would be kinda tired at the end of the day and, and you know, do, she would have a wonderful dinner made and then at the end of the dinner, there'd be this huge mess to clean up and I'd be like, I'm tired and she's tired and nobody wants to clean up the kitchen at the end of the day. And if you have kids, kids just ruin, I mean, there is crumbs everywhere, and then I'd find out they had used like 19 cups between lunch and dinner for a sip of water each, so there's 19 cups, all three quarters full. And at that point, I've already watered my plants with my coffee, I can't go dump their cups in all of my plants. So anyways, I found the solution. I taught my kids how to clean the kitchen, and it's their job after dinner. If you're a kid in here, I'm sorry, I love you, this is good for you, it's going to be good in the long run remember this for when you're a parent, but parents, teach your kids to do the dishes, clean off the table, sweep the floor, all these things, and by the way, doing the dishes these days is like loading a dishwasher. I lived in the day where you washed the dishes by hand, right? Am I right? Anyways, so my kids now, they hate this. They hate it, and now they they don't get to not do it, so they fight over which part of the kitchen they get to clean, and we have to manage some of that, and I understand it, but here's the thing that I have found. Now that they clean the kitchen, there's way less crumbs on the floor. Now that they clean the kitchen, there are way less cups and utensils used. In fact, sometimes they're like, whoa, 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 dad, did did you already have a cup you're drinking out of? Oh, dad, do you really need a knife and a fork? You can cut that with the side of your fork, I think. (laughs) Like, all of a sudden, my children are thinking about how do they not waste time and energy, and how do they make that process more efficient, and it satisfies my soul (laughs) to see that happening. And so that's a parent life hack. Actually, that's probably just good parenting, but it took me a while to get there, okay? All that to say that the good news of Jesus is the ultimate life hack. That the good news of Jesus comes and says, hey, how broken is your life? There is nothing broken that Jesus can't fix. The good news says, there is nothing you will go through that Jesus can't redeem. Now, will you go through bad things in this world? Yes. And the Bible indicates that we exist in this spiritual war between good and evil that God has guaranteed the victory of, but we still are in the wrestlings of this. But Jesus is guaranteed that we won't make it to the end of this battle, this war, without him redeeming every broken thing that we experience as casualties of it. We won't understand fully until that day when it is all restored, all that Jesus has in mind. But the Bible says it's going to be a glorious inheritance. It's going to be a great reward. And it honors those who have lived in such a way that they value what is to come more than what we have these days. And that is the life hack of the good news, if I can minimize it to something as soon as that. But it all rests on trust. And as we look into the next passage in the book of Galatians today, we see some areas where the Apostle Paul was concerned for the Galatians that they were not applying the good news life hack. They were not trusting Jesus in these certain areas. And he's worried for them. He's worried that they're going to miss out on the benefits of the good news. And God today would say the same things to us. When we look into the word, the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us about some of these same areas and say, are you applying the benefits of the cross to your life? Are you applying the benefits of the Holy Spirit with us to your life? And so let's take a look at scripture and see how the Lord is speaking to us today. In Galatians chapter four, starting in verse one, The word says this, it says, think of it, the good news, this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children, we were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. And he's using this illustration about the benefits that we have through the good news of Jesus. And, and he's this illustration about how we live life in a broken world without God, that we are like children. And it's not uncommon in our society today, just like it was then, that if a parent dies and leaves an inheritance to their child, but their child is not an adult yet, that they have to wait until they are mature enough to steward that inheritance before they can fully access that inheritance. That is, a common, that is a common thing still to this day. And he says that that was the same thing, that you live in this broken world and before you have Jesus, before you know Jesus and can fully steward the life that he has given you the way that, that you were meant to, you lived really as slaves to the basic principles of this world. And isn't that how children operate that children operate as slaves to their momentary desires right they want something and they have to get it and if they don't we all know about it right and part of maturity is learning to think past Those momentary desires that grip us and being able to make decisions beyond the moment. And the Bible tells us that we won't ever fully be able to mature without Jesus, who created life, showing us how to live it best. And most of all, without the grace of Jesus that brings us into that relationship with Jesus And into relationship with God our Father that we will miss out. But the interesting thing is that like a child who ends up with a guardian until they're mature, we all end up belonging to something while we're waiting for Jesus. We tend to look for something. We were not created to live autonomously. We like to think that we are good at being autonomous. None of us really are autonomous, meaning that we can live on our own without any help from anyone or anything else. Human beings, we like to think that, but we're not good at it. We're desperate for community. We're desperate for something bigger than ourselves to give us meaning. It might be ambition. It might be money. It might be something that gives us pleasure. But we look for other things, social groups and all sorts of other things to give us identity because we need to belong. It's a craving of the human soul to belong, to give ourselves to something. And what the Apostle Paul says to the Galatians and God says to us this morning is that without Jesus, our selfishness makes us slaves of the things that we want most. And we find ourselves driven by those things that we want most. We find ourselves driven by, by um, various things that we identify ourselves with. If we identify with pleasure, we pursue things that give us pleasure. If we identify with acceptance, we pursue whatever social setting will give us acceptance. If we identify with achievement and accomplishment, we choose a path that will give us the greatest amount of achievement, And we identify ourselves with those things. The problem is that those things eventually fall short of giving us everything that we are longing for in our souls. It's only with Jesus that we can find freedom to be who we were created to be. And that's what Paul speaks to the Galatians about in these next few verses. Let's read on. It says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law making the point that Jesus lived according to the conditions of humanity. Verse 5, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we're his children, God has sent the spirit of his own son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, which means daddy, papa, father, Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child, and since you are his child, God has made you his heir. This is a difficult concept for us to understand as people that are privileged to live in still a mostly free nation. We, f- we feel like we have a lot of freedoms, but we also understand from our history and, and from global history, we understand what it is to be a slave, a person without really any rights or hope of choosing their own future. And Jesus was sent to purchase our freedom from a very real slavery. In our Western civilization where we tend to rule out anything without a scientific explanation, we tend to rule out anything that seems mystical or spiritual, we have latched on to one of the meanings of the cross and the resurrection, what theologians have called the substitution theory. That we understand that Jesus came and died as a substitution before God, his Father, for the price that we owed to God for our own sins, right? We, we deserved a consequence, Jesus took the consequence, he was our substitute. But the early church uh, believed just as strongly in another meaning of the cross called the ransom theory, that not only were we opposed to God because of our sin, but we now belonged to the devil because of our sin. Jesus spoke about this. He said that the devil now has authority in the world because of human sin, that there are things that are not of God's will that the devil exercises in this world because of our choices to partner with him through selfishness and pride. You tracking with me? Okay. And so there is this idea in scripture of a ransom, and we don't like the idea of the devil. We're like, I, scientific proof, I need it, right? Right? But if you look around at the world, there's some pretty nasty stuff that you're like, how did people come up with something that evil? Because the idea was planted by someone else. Just like we are made in the image of God The devil seduces us to live in his image. He is a phony God. He's a wannabe God. And just as he rebelled against God in order to be God, he seduces humanity to rebel against God, seeking to be our own gods. And what we end up as, instead of gods, is we end up as slaves to the devil. And the ransom theory of the cross is that when Jesus came to the cross, not only did he make us right with the Father by taking the consequences of our sin, but he purchased from the devil by giving his own life, he purchased our lives back from the devil. And so when he says he was sent to set us free, there were two functions, and there are others as well, but two major functions to restore us to God and to free us, from the devil, and we tend to only think about the one. But we are set free from the devil. We're no longer slaves to our sin. And he says we're slaves to the law. And there he's speaking to the Jews. In a moment, he's about to speak to the Gentiles and say, "And you weren't slaves to the law, non-Jews. You were slaves to all these other go- gods, right? Because we are set free from our slavery, and our slavery is always begun through sin." It's always begun through sin. And so Jesus came to set us free from that slavery. And that leads me to the first application of that good news life hack. That we, we come to these moments where we feel like we have no control. We come to these moments where we are dominated by anxiety or we are dominated by lust and desire. We are dominated by ambition. And what happens when all of those things begin to dominate is other people get hurt. And often we get hurt in the process, too. And Jesus says, if you will trust me, we cannot, we cannot do that game. One of the byproducts of freedom is that if we trust Jesus, he can get us through any difficult circumstance. And for the Galatians, the Galatians were stuck in this situation where they were anxious about their faith. They wanted to trust Jesus, but they also wanted to belong to the religious elite. They wanted to be accepted and understood by the religious crowd. So they were saying, well, maybe we should do the Jewish law and trust in Jesus. And Paul is saying, no, don't go be captive. You gave up captivity to one." set of gods don't go be captive to another set of gods he's saying will you trust god but they had this anxiety literally this anxiety he's speaking to like i'm not sure we're good enough i'm not sure we can do it and do you ever feel that way in life do you ever feel like man i just am not sure i have what it takes i'm not sure that i'm good enough you know that in those moments we are called to trust jesus more than ever and that good news life hack is applied in the midst of our anxiety and our confusion in this way that when we intentionally lean into God's love, we experience peace in chaotic circumstances. That's one of the fruits of the gospel, that in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our stress and our anxiety, when we lean into that Abba Father. And can I just say, like, as a, as a pretty self-confident adult male Saying the word daddy in public just doesn't, that doesn't fit any model of masculinity that I've ever been taught. But can I also just confess to you that one of, the, one of the most common prayers I pray is daddy, I need you. Daddy, I need you. I pray it almost every Sunday before I preach his word, daddy, I need you. I was praying it this week over some decisions that I'm I'm in the process of making actually some both personally and decisions that I wrestle with as the leader of the church that I'm like, Lord, I don't, I don't have the wisdom. I don't know what the future holds. I'm worried that I'll make the wrong decision or lead my family or your church in the wrong direction. And in those moments, literally three days of anxiety came down to one moment on Friday morning, which is my day off. I spent time just praying throughout the morning, wrestling with this anxiety, and I kept coming back to, Daddy, I need you. Daddy, I need you. And you know what's amazing is over the course of the day, I felt the comfort and the promises of God come to my mind that Jesus is the one who holds my life in his hands, that Jesus is the one who guards me and protects me, that Jesus is the one who can get me through anything. And it's in leaning into the love of God that we find that experience of joy and peace and freedom even in the midst of those chaotic circumstances. And can I tell you, I stand here a couple days later and those decisions aren't made for me. God didn't show up and say, Caleb, do this, 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 and this, and it'll all be perfect. He didn't come and do a miracle in that moment. No. He gave me something better than a momentary miracle. He gave me his presence, and I have a confidence now based on him that it's all going to work out okay. And those types of things. And, I, you know, it's funny, as I've seen it happen a million times before in my journey with Jesus, but it, it requires us to step back into a relationship built on trust. And I would challenge you to spend time meditating on God as your father. And maybe you, like me, are a fairly self-assured person, and at times you have to be reminded or remind yourself, I don't have what it takes. Daddy, I need you. Daddy, I need you. Father, I need you. Jesus purchased that relationship back to you. In fact, the Scripture says that because of Jesus' blood on the cross, we can come boldly before the throne of the Father asking anything we want. But do you know how we ask? Daddy, I need this. When my kids come to me and say, daddy, and my girls, girls, you know how to work a dad, you know? (laughs) I don't know how, but when they say, dad, can I have this, dad? What do you think? I'm like, yes, budget goes out the window, wisdom goes out the window, what do you want? Okay, one of them heard that. There's still a standard, okay? But here's the deal, right? When we come to our Father, He sees us as His beloved children. We have to get comfortable being His beloved children. We have to lean in to His love if we're going to experience peace in those circumstances. And he, re- he goes on now to speak about another aspect of it. In verse eight, he says, before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, the true God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You're trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing, dear brothers and sisters. I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. So again, he says, don't now go be enslaved to what the Jews have been enslaved to, this religious process. You were set free from the spiritual principles of this world, following our lusts and our cravings and all those things. You were set free from those. Now don't go be a slave to religious practice. Walk in trust. And again, we want the benefits of God, but trust can be hard at times. And we have this tendency to keep our options open. We have this tendency to go back to things that gave us pleasure or satisfaction for a moment, especially when God is taking a long time you know, when God seems to be taking a long time to answer my prayers, I want to go back to taking things into my own hands. I want to go back to controlling my circumstances. I want to go back to using anger and, and, and uh, those types of things to, to manipulate circumstances. I want to go back to things that Jesus has set me free from in my life. And Paul is saying to the Galatians and God is saying to us, don't go back to those things you've been set free from. For some of us, we have satisfied our desires in unhealthy ways. We satisfy our stress with, with eating again and again and again and again. We satisfy our lust with pornography or those other things. We satisfy our need, our anxiety with alcohol and substances. We satisfy our need for purpose with career and ambition. And those things are all different forms of drugs that we medicate our souls with. And when we find belonging in the love of our Father, we don't need those things. We don't need those things. In fact, we're better off without all those things. And Jesus says to you, don't run back to those things. Don't go be slaves again. I set you free to be children. Don't go be slaves. Sometimes we're comfortable. We're more comfortable as slaves than we are as children. We're more comfortable. We're like, I know how to live that life. I know how to live in that way. Living as a beloved child sometimes has its own form of of stress to us as we're learning to walk in that trust journey with Jesus. The question that we have to ask ourselves is what, what do we look to for purpose and security? I want you to think about that this morning. What is it that you look to for purpose and security? When you are stressed or when when you do need some direction in life, what are you looking to? Are you looking to something else before you look to Jesus? Are you giving Jesus kind of a tip of the hat, but if he doesn't answer in a moment, you quickly run to something else? I know there are times that I do that, and I always regret it. I always regret it. The question that, that the gospel asks us is, what's captivating you? Because whatever it is, it falls short of what Jesus offers you. And that good news life hack tells us that when we relentlessly pursue God's plan for our lives, we experience satisfaction in our lives. When we relentlessly pursue God's direction for us, when we relentlessly pursue God's plan for us, we experience his satisfaction in this life. And that is what we have to we have to be in tune with, we have to say, God, what do you want to do? What do you want about this? Again, there was a decision my wife and I were, were making last week. It was kind of a financial decision, and we were kind of like looking at it from different angles and like, well, should we do this? Should we do this? What's the wise thing to do? What, what's going to be, you know, my obsession with the best possible decision? What's the best decision? And you know where we landed on it? We weren't sure, and we said, you know, we're going to seek the Lord on this. It's a practical financial decision. We're like, we're gonna wait until we get a sense from the Lord how he wants us to move forward. And we have confidence in that because we've done that before and God has given us clear direction that has protected us from making bad decisions that we would have made on our own. And so we have to look to him for his plan. We have to say, not, God, this is what I want, give it to me, immature spiritual principles of this world. We have to come and say, Daddy, I need you. I need your wisdom, I need your direction, and because I trust you, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. Do you know that waiting is often equivalent to your level of trust? If you're waiting, you're trusting. If you're rushing, you're probably not trusting. And I hate that because I like to move fast. I like things fast. I like to make decisions fast, do things fast. And the Father, he always moves slow. He always moves slow. Why? He's a quality time kind of guy. He loves relationship. He loves the journey. He wants to cultivate things in his sons and his daughters, and so we come to him and say, Father, what's the plan? I'm waiting on you for the plan. But the benefit of that waiting is that lo- later when we look back, we're like, wow, that worked out great. Wow, God, you had a good plan for me. Wow, God, you really made the most of that situation. But we have to, wa- we have to pursue the plan to enjoy the satisfaction later on. Can I encourage you with something? I would encourage you to spend time praying the Lord's Prayer over various areas of your life. And sometimes we're like, what do I pray? And I would encourage you, go to go to Matthew chapter seven, verses nine through thirteen and pray the Lord's Prayer over your work. Pray the Lord's prayer over your family and apply it. Don't just like recite it. Apply it to the people and the situations. Apply it. Say, God, I want I want you to be hallowed in my in my workplace. I want your name to be lifted up. I want your kingdom to come and your will to be done in my in my work life. I want you to provide. The finances and resources provide the daily bread necessary. I want you to to help us live in harmony. Forgive us where we make mistakes. Help us to be gracious in the way that we do business. And protect us from the evil one. Don't lead us into temptation to make foolish decisions. See how you apply that to your workplace. Apply it to your parenting. Apply it because it's in that that you seek God for his plan. You're wanting his kingdom to come, his will to be done, his way for the the problems to be solved. And I have found so many times that simply praying that prayer applied to my situation, I see later when God answers different pieces of it. I see it all the time. And so that's just a practical way that we pursue God's plan rather than our own. Now, I'm going to skip down a few verses in our passage. Paul's talking a little bit about his relationship and his history with the Galatians, but he sums up another lesson for us in verses 16 through 18. He says, have I now become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? Have you ever had somebody instantly become your enemy because they tell you the truth? It's called marriage. No, just kidding. (laughs) Right? But nobody wants to hear the truth when they don't want to hear it. It's amazing how the person I love most in the world, when I when they tell me the truth, sometimes I'm like, who do you think you are? <laughs> I am a pastor. <laughs> I have found that the title wife trumps the title pastor 100% of the time. But right, you know, you know what I mean? Like th- even the people we love most when they're telling us truth we don't want to hear, they become our enemy. But a lot of times, that's exactly what we need to hear. Sorry, back to reading the scripture. That was a side note. (laughs) Verse 17, those false teachers that we've talked about in previous weeks are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. They are trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay attention only to them. If someone is eager to do good things for you, that's all right, but let them do it all the time, not just when I'm with you. There was this power struggle in the Galatians church between Paul and these other influencers. And they were manipulating things to try to make Paul look bad and try to win the day. And we see here another spiritual principle of trusting Jesus, that the voices that we listen to really matter. The voices that you listen to both externally and internally really matter. Here's the thing, I can tell you, if you tell me what talk radio you listen to or what news channel you watch or how much time you spend on social media, I can tell you who the dominant voice is in your life. I can tell you who is dictating how you think and feel about the world around you. If you tell me, some of the thoughts that you have reoccurring in your own head, some of the dominant voices that can be in your own head, depending on whether you're listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit or as we have have talked about this morning, that the devil, he loves to whisper similar things to God, but they are always to steal, kill, and destroy, not to give life and flourishing. Depending on the dominant voices that you listen to, your life will go in one direction or another, and we have to express trust in Jesus by being careful who we listen to. The flourishing of Jesus, we can hear the good news once a week and never go out and live in it. We can hear the good news on Sunday and you can come into church and be like, oh, I'm so refreshed in my spirit. I'm refreshed. I needed that. And you know what? That is part of what church is supposed to do for you is bring you back to the voice of Jesus. But we have to be careful not to go back out and then reinsert all of the other voices that were taking us away from Jesus. We have to be careful about those things. Now, I'm not saying that we should stick our heads in the sand and not be aware of what's going on in the world, but we have to be discerning and we have to submit voices in order of authority in our lives. And the good news, if the good news is going to be the life hack that it is, if we are going to learn to trust Jesus and get through every circumstance as beneficiaries of that, we have to discern the voices in our lives. And that is the third application of that good news life hack is that when we thoughtfully practice discernment about the voices in our lives we experience clarity in a confusing world I've had so many people say to me in recent in recent months these last couple years man I don't know who to trust man I don't know what's true anymore You know, you have one news channel calling the other news channel liars. You have one political party calling the other political party liars. You know what I've found when my children do that? They're usually both lying. (laughs) Or they're both exaggerating. Can we just get used to the fact that most of the voices that you are hearing are not telling you the truth? Most of the voices you are hearing are not telling you the truth which is a very disconcerting thing isn't it who do i look to who do i trust some of us have grown up in homes where we know our parents taught a lot of, taught us a lot about what not to do but we they didn't they didn't show us an example of what to do that could be very disconcerting The world suddenly becomes a confusing place. We all want a voice that we can trust. We all want a leader that we can follow. And the Galatians were like, man, who do we trust here? The world's always been a confusing place. The devil operates in confusion. He wants to insert multiple voices and drown out the voice of God. That's been a strategy since Genesis 3, the Garden of Eden. And it's been a strategy in every culture, in every marriage, in every family since the beginning of time, since, since humanity came on this earth. That's right. And we practice trust by drilling down into the voice of God. And how do we do that? Paul's saying, first of all, trust the people that have proven themselves trustworthy. And that means that you actually know them and have relationship with them. Can I tell you, some of you Christians, you are really good Christians, so you only watch Christian television. Can I tell you that 99% of what is on Christian television is garbage. It's garbage. They are going to be judged. I would be afraid to stand before Jesus after saying some of the things that are said there. How many times are they going to predict the second coming of Jesus wrong before you stop listening to them? Seriously. You wonder why people think Christians are fools. Because we are acting like fools. Jesus himself said, no one will know. So read the signs of the times, but you are not going to know. If somebody says they know, turn that channel off. Stop listening to that garbage. I'm not that great of a communicator, but you could listen to my sermon a hundred times in a row, and it's going to be better than anything you get on Christian TV, except the commercials. Their commercials are way better than anything I have to offer. <laughs> and for some of us, we, we can sit back and we can mock Christian television, but what's the voice in your life? What is it that you turn to? Or have you just turned to cynical voices that are like, oh yeah, we can make fun of everything and hold on to nothing? Nothing. What is it that you hold on to? What I can tell you this is if you're living by anything but the voice of God, you are living according to the wrong voice. And Paul says two things here. He says one, lean into trustworthy leaders in your life. Paul says, he's making the point I've been a trustworthy leader. Why don't you keep trusting me, Galatian church? And if I or the pastoral team at this church are not trustworthy, do not go to this church. Don't give another penny, don't give a dollar, don't give anything, don't pray a prayer for us, except that God would have mercy on our souls. You you should pray that for us, because we would need it. Follow trustworthy leaders in your life, and don't waste time on all the other stuff. When you watch the news, watch with discernment, realize that there are human and demonic agendas alive in the world, if Jesus's name is not being glorified, and even sometimes when they're saying they're glorifying it, you have to be discerning. Does it sound like scripture? Does it sound like what Jesus says in the word? The word is the ultimate measuring stick for what is true and what is false. And so that's why if you are serious about Jesus, get in the Bible get in the word of God, listen to it, read it, study it. When you're ready for a commentary that helps you explain further, come and ask me because there are some joke commentaries out there too. It's a confusing world that we live in. But you need to discern the voice of God. And when we do, we experience clarity. Now I'll tell you what, watching our culture in these last couple of years, has it been disconcerting? Absolutely but do I feel like when I seek the Lord, he brings me back to a place of clarity? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, do I always like what I have clarity about? No, but I have clarity. I know where I stand. I know I have a sense of where God is leading this whole thing. I have a sense of where what the devil is trying to do in this whole thing. I have a sense of all those things. Now, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but my father is. My father is. And so I practice trust in him by leaning into his love when I'm anxious. I practice trust in him. By pursuing his plan above my own, I practice trust in him by discerning whether any other voice matches up to his or not. By the way, Jeanette and I have to practice that in our marriage because we are imperfect people. Every now and then, one of us says to the other, usually Jeanette says to me, she's like, Caleb, is that really, is that really what the Lord's saying to you? (laughs) Ah! I hate that! <laughs> Accountability's no fun. But it's so healthy. It's so good. There need to be trustworthy people that can speak the word of God into your lives. And when we do that, we flourish even in a broken world. That is the fruit of the good news of Jesus, flourishing in the midst of a broken world. But look at the risk here. In these final two verses, it says, Paul writes this, Oh, my dear children. You know, a spiritual leader carries the heart of the Father for the people that he leads, if he's a good spiritual leader. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. You thought a man didn't know what labor felt like. <laughs> the Apostle Paul, okay, sorry. I gotta, it's Father's Day next weekend. I gotta throw a few dad jokes in here. But I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. I wish I were with you right now so I could change my tone, but at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. Doesn't that sound like a parent? Doesn't that sound like a parent? Because Paul carries the father's burden for his spiritual children. And I read that to you today because that's how the father feels about you. The father looks at your, your life and he loves you, but he has some concerns, doesn't he? The father looks at my life and sometimes he's like, Caleb, I love you, but like, I'm nervous about you right now. I'm nervous because you're letting the wrong things drive your life right now. Caleb, I'm nervous because you're letting anxiety and ambition drive your life instead of letting the love of the Father drive your life. I'm nervous right now, Caleb, because you are not seeking my plan. You're just running along on your own plan. I'm nervous for you, son, because you're listening to a lot of voices, but you're not paying much attention to mine. I'm nervous for you. Do you know the Father, he aches for us. If you're a parent, you know how you ache for your children. You know how you ache. You put them to that first day of school every year, and you're like, man, I hope there's good friends in that classroom. I hope the teacher's nice, but not too nice. I hope that they learn things. I hope that they, they pass their classes. I hope, we, we want our kids to flourish. Do you know that God desires your flourishing? You know that God has been committed to your flourishing since he set this world up to flourish. And when we rebelled against our father and followed his enemy instead, he stayed committed to our flourishing. He promised to Adam and Eve in that moment, I'm going to set this right. And he sent Jesus to do that for us. But we have to walk in trust daily to experience that flourishing. But I want you to hear the voice of the Father in those two verses and recognize that God aches for you and me to trust him all the way. All the way. You have difficult decisions in your life right now? Practice trusting God. Spend some time waiting on him in worship and prayer. Run to him as your Abba, Father. You have some difficult dynamics and relationships in your life right now? Practice trusting him. Let the love of the Father satisfy you, even when people who should love you treat you like garbage. You're afraid of where the world is going and where our culture is going? Apart from Jesus, I sure would be too. Because it's not going the right direction. But I'm thankful that we have a God who promises to produce flourishing in dying places. And actually, he has sent us on mission to revive those dying places. He is calling you, he is calling you into education where we are seeing public education do horrible things, make horrible decisions. Can I just call that what it is? Our public education system is not helping people flourish right now. Some of you are called to be teachers that make a difference in that mission field. But don't pretend it's not a mission field. Some of you are called into higher education, mission field, called into politics, mission field, called into the business world because there's nothing like good, healthy businesses that help communities flourish. You're called to be parents, you're called to be spouses, you are called to bring flourishing in the very things that the demonic forces of this world, the basic spiritual principles of this world want to kill and steal and destroy. Next time you think a political party is doing evil things in our world, it's not the political party. That's just puppets. Human government have been puppets for demonic rule for thousands of years. That's only if you believe God's voice, though. That's only if you believe the perspective that sees all of history. But when you think about it, it sure starts to make a lot of sense. Sure makes a lot of sense. The main thing is this. Remember that when you are struggling, God is aching. When you are not sure what to do, God is aching. When you are facing horrible circumstances, God is aching for you. He's aching for you to trust him because trusting him is the only way you will experience flourishing despite the dying around you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? The simple truth that we consider is that God sent Jesus to lead us out of slavery and into sonship, into being sons and daughters of the God who created us. Where do you need to trust Jesus this morning? We've asked that question quite a bit these last few weeks walking through Galatians, but that really is what the good news is all about. Where do you need to trust Jesus this morning? You don't need to solve the world's problems. You need to trust Jesus with what's in front of you today. You need to practice trust today. For some of you, that trust is simply surrendering what you think is leadership of your own life, and it's really slavery to sin. You need to surrender that and find the warmth of a loving Father waiting to embrace you. That's what salvation is. It's Moving from slavery into sonship, sons and daughters of God, instead of slaves to our sin and to the devil. It's heavy duty stuff. Where do you need to trust Jesus this morning? Where do you need to trust Jesus this morning? For some of you, you have believed in Jesus for a long time, but you have remained slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. Do you need to cry out to your Abba Father? Do you need to lean intentionally into God's love? Do you need to pursue his plan for your life? Where do you need to trust him? What I can tell you is that your loving Heavenly Father is aching for you to trust him. So Father, I pray that you would surround us with your spirit right now. That your loving and gentle presence would break through the noise of this world. That you would draw our hearts closer to you. That you would strengthen us and enable us to trust you with the things that we haven't trusted you with before. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand with me this morning? In a moment, I'm going to ask the worship team to just sing through a song that's a great expression of trust. I'm going to turn you loose to go if you need to go, but if you need to sit in the presence of God and express trust to Jesus, I want you just to stay in worship for a little while. got a few minutes before you need to clear out. You know, you've got some time. Practice trust. Practice waiting on God. Practice confessing to Him what needs to be confessed. But if you need to go today, I want you to know, You go into a world that needs to see you walking with your Father. You go into a world that needs to see that you are not as freaked out by the circumstances around you. Demonstrate what it looks like to walk in trust of God because that is how you will share flourishing with the world around you. So Father, as we go today, would you ingrain in us this habit of trust? Would you help us, Lord, to lean in to your love. Would you help us to pursue your plan? Would you help us, Father, to discern the voices that are yours or not? And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Sound Life Church, I love you. If you need to go, we'll see you next week. If you want to linger and worship, let's worship together.